Hey listeners, Sebastian here. Just a quick heads up slash trigger warning. On this episode, there's a brief discussion on the mass shootings that have plagued the U.S. in the last 20 years. At the time of the recording, the terrible incidents in both Georgia and Colorado had not happened. It goes without saying that Jen and I have the deepest sympathy for anyone whose life was lost or in any way affected by these tragedies, and we hate that these things continue to happen. If hearing this subject discussed is going to in any way upset you in light of these recent events, we understand if you need to sit this episode out, and we hope that you rejoin us next episode. Thanks. Welcome to Tentpole Trauma, the podcast where we look at movies that came with hype and high hopes, but left with crushing disappointment, either critically, at the box office, or both. Freed from the weight of expectations, we seek to examine these underperformers under a new light, parsing through the good, the bad, and everything in between with the hopes of gaining a better understanding as to why they failed to find their audience. Warning, there will be spoilers, so if you haven't seen the movie that we're discussing today, I suggest you stop the podcast and go watch it. Then when you come back and listen, you'll get more out of the discussion. On this week's episode, we discuss David Fincher's Fight Club. Okay, I am Sebastian, and I'm here with Jennifer. Hello. We're doing another Just Jennifer podcast. Just Jennifer? Just Jennifer. Are you not here? I'm here, but you are my (laughs) only guest. Annie's here, too. Annie the dog is here. She will possibly be chiming in with some insight. Today, we are doing the movie Fight Club, and the first rule of Fight Club is that you're not supposed to talk about Fight Club. But here we are. But here we are. We're going to talk about it. (laughs) Now, um, this is sort of a podcast we threw together quickly because we had a little bit of a scheduling emergency, but we may do. That's the nice thing about having two podcasters under one roof. You can throw things together quickly. Now, Fight Club is an interesting movie because I think most people assume that Fight Club was a hit because it has had such a huge cultural impact but Fight Club was not a hit. It came out, um, I think, in around late summer or fall of 1999, and it cost $63 million, which was a lot of money at that time and a lot of money for the kind of movie that it is. And it only made like $17 million opening weekend. Yeah, and it, it didn't do very well in the States overall. I think it only made like $30 million in the States, and it made more than that worldwide. But... It was considered a bomb, and it was kind of surprising because I think everybody was anticipating it to be a big deal because it was Brad Pitt, and he was reteaming with David Fincher, and they had had a big hit a few years earlier with Seven. And it was kind of like, um, you know, it was based on a Chuck Palahniuk novel, which was, I think, pretty popular. So I think everybody was expecting it to be a hit, and it just wasn't. People just didn't show up. However, it has had a huge, I think, impact on culture. Memes and th- sayings from the movie and 
It's just one of those movies that pretty much everybody has seen. I think it was a big hit once it hit video, which at that time would have been VHS in the early days of DVD. I remember it being a big deal in the early days of DVD, like it was one of the first DVDs that had all sorts of extras and stuff like that. So, I mean, it is definitely recovered culturally, but initially upon release, it was a box office failure. Now, um, you've seen Fight Club, I know, before. What are your first memories of Fight Club? Well, as I was thinking about it earlier today, and I, I think I did see the movie first in, in theater, and then read the book after. I was trying to remember which way it was, but I really think it was the movie that, like, especially because of the twist and everything that was coming up. Yeah. I feel like I, I, I experienced that first cinematically. Right. And then I, I read the book shortly thereafter. And I, I'm a huge fan of the author since and, and, and read a lot more of his books. Yeah. Um, but this was the first of his books that I had read. Yeah, I definitely saw it in the theater. And I don't think I've really, I mean, I've seen it kind of in bits and pieces since then, but I honestly don't think I've sat down and like really taken it in again, mm -hmm. probably since I saw it in the theater. Like, I don't think I've, like, it may have been on, like, in the background or something since then, but, like, it's been, and I've, I, I, yeah, since 99, so that was 22 years ago? Yeah. Yeah, that I've, like, given it my full attention again. And I, I remember enjoying the book also, and now I, I do think it was after seeing the, the film. I thought, it was, yeah, it was a good adaptation, and I, I love David Fincher. Yeah. Huge fan. And, you know, all the, the actors that were in it. So, yeah, I, I remember liking it and being excited to see it in the theater. I am also a big David Fincher fan. I am one of the few people in the world who really loves Alien 3. His, uh, yes, you do. <laughs> I love Alien 3. I think it's a great movie. And to be fair, I'm not one of the only people in the world. There are a lot of actually underground Alien 3 fans. But I really love that movie, you know, for all its flaws um, he has basically disowned it. He was really unhappy with the way it went. So he is not a fan of Alien 3. I do love 7. I'm a big fan of 7. I like the game. I didn't think it was that good when it came out because I was just like the twist made my eyes roll back in my head. But I've since come to appreciate what it does well, which is quite a few things. And um, I don't think I saw Fight Club when it came out in the theater. I think it was just my life was in just a place where I just didn't get around to it. I definitely saw it pretty quickly, though. I think I saw it when it came out on video uh, right away because I was interested in it. But for whatever reason, it was just one of those things. I think it came out one weekend that I was busy and then it didn't do well. And then it was gone before I had a chance to see it. So I do not believe I saw it in the theater. When I first saw it, I remember liking it, but I kind of was lukewarm on some of the parts. Of course, it's a big twist movie. This is when the big twists were really coming. Like it was the the dawn of the big twist. And I think after this and Sixth Sense especially, we got a lot of twist movies. It's like the aughts were just full of twists. And I would definitely put this movie at like the top of the twists. <laughs> twists are funny because I feel like a movie has to have a super, 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 super solid good twist for me to not kind of 
be pissed at it. You know what I mean? And there's a few things in this movie. I remember thinking the twist was good, but there were a few moments where I was like, that doesn't make sense. Whereas something like Sixth Sense, the Sixth Sense kind of blew me away because after I saw it, I was like, oh my God, every single thing about that twist works. And it got me. I didn't get it. It totally floored me when it happened. This movie, I was like, I was like, okay, you got me with the twist, but I'm not so sure I I buy it. But I do. I mean, obviously, I do buy it. I think it's a good twist. It's you know, it, it's got to be the twist. But looking back on it now, I think I remember when I first saw it, I was like, eh, you kind of cheated with that twist. But we'll talk about it. So yeah, it stars uh, Brad Pitt and Edward Norton. Uh, they're the main characters. And Helena Bonham Carter, I, I would say, is the third most important character. And then we get a lot of um, other actors in smaller roles, most notably Jared Leto, although he's barely in the movie. He's not really in that much of the movie. And he gets a lot of credit for this movie. And I'm like, Jared Leto's not in this movie all that much. Yeah, I mean, he's not in it that much. And I remember it being a big deal that he was in it. Um, yeah. I mean, it hadn't been that long since my so-called life. Yeah. And um, I think it's more that, I mean, he, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll get to his, his it's more story. what happens, happens to, to his him. character, how yeah. he's utilized, yeah. I think is what. Yeah, that's what it's, mem- his, it's, it's memorable for. Right, and coming off of my so-called life where he's a yeah. sort of teen heartthrob, he destroyed his own image quite literally in this movie so and then he would be in david fincher's next movie he would be in panic room he's like the main villain in that so i think he owes david fincher a debt of gratitude for basically pulling him out of the pretty boy ghetto and he did it with real style in this movie so this movie follows uh the narrator who is played by uh edward norton that's his only name that he's given in in the movie for a reason, because we basically find out what his real name is. Uh, he's 30 years old, which would have been around the time close to the age I was when this movie came out. He has sort of devoted his life to his job and, you know, acquiring material things. He's got a condo he really likes, and it's all full of, like, Ikea bullshit that he really likes, including a yin-yang coffee table, <laughs> which is really ridiculous, ridiculously obnoxious. But he's, you know, like many men approaching or you know at the at the uh at the gates of middle age i would say he is unfulfilled so how do you feel about uh, edward norton uh in general do you like edward norton i do i think he's a great actor i'm always happy i really um one of my favorite edward norton films is uh, 25th hour yes that's i a good i think one. he's so great spike in that. lee yeah so so good I mean, he's also great in American History X. I mean, there's, you know, there's a, a lot of good, and he's he's wonderful in this. I think he was perfectly cast for this. Yeah. It makes me want to actually read the book again because it's been 20 some odd years since I've read the book to see how, I, I mean, I remember at the time I didn't feel like reading the book that it wasn't uh, a good match, but right. I'm, I'm just, you know, now since I am revisiting the, the film after so many years, like at least giving it my full attention, I kind of want to read the book again, but Anyway, I, I think he was perfectly cast as yeah. this character. I think his, like, it's interesting because it's a similar type. It's, like, not a yuppie. Yeah. But 
it's like Gen X yuppie kind yeah, of. It's the like Gen X version of yeah, that. because it, the it, reluctant yuppie. It is the reluctant him. yuppie. Like he doesn't. He would never identify as a yuppie. Yeah. Um. Whereas, like, I feel like in the eighties, like a lot of yuppies were proud to be yuppies and like would I happily identify with that. It, it's funny because I think they even uh, Brad Pitt's character might even say it, but it it, it was kind of like a reference to um the uh, replacements bastards of young uh-huh. where he says something like you know that that line where it's like we've got no uh, war to name us yeah and it's you know it, it's just it's 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 that age that that time i just think it's was really saying something and i think that was a really like we're just kind of lost yeah and really like he's identifying himself and with stuff yeah. Like, and I mean, I think everyone on some level can identify with that. I mean, is this is to an extreme as far as like, you know, he's like, and it's interesting to see watching it again now, like not having the the computers that, you know, uh, so easily yeah. to just buy stuff. It's actually, you had to go through catalogs and call yeah. and like, you know, order stuff through the phone. It's just, you know, we've just gotten so far away from that now. But anyway. We've gotten into whole new levels of consumerism. Yes. Yes, much more rapid consumerism with an app where you can just press a button and yeah, yeah it's all it's but it's uh, I don't know yeah it's it's I, I like his I like his character and I think his character is very um, easy to identify with. I mean, I definitely think it's a a very Gen X movie. I feel that it, a lot of the things this movie is saying directly addresses things that the uh, Gen X was feeling. I mean, I I certainly can relate to a lot of things. I never went that route. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> um, but I can understand falling into it and then that becomes sort of who you are and but you know, so he knows that he's really not this person despite having all this stuff. So he's sort of you know, looking for something else, but the thing that really sort of kicks off his character journey is that he can't sleep. He's an insomniac. So basically the first solution that he comes to is that he goes to different self-help groups well he goes to a doctor first because he's gone like i think like four or five nights in a row without sleeping yeah and you know i think i think david fincher does a great job of showing like and and just the whole stylized like the the way that the 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 film is styled and just like it's so david fincher and it's so great in that way highly influential too the way this movie looks affected the way movies looked for a long time it remind it's similar to the matrix in that way where the matrix also had sort of a style thing about it that affected movies but yeah this and also his style which was right around this time too it wasn't much later was remember the movie go it definitely has that same feel to it as well yeah but um I think he does a great job of of showing what it's like when you have been sleep deprived yeah. for days, and it's just like you know you're just going through the motions, and everything's like you know it was just, he he visually like makes you feel like you're dealing with insomnia when he's like at work and everything's like you can't be like wom wom wom. You well, know, he like, he throws in subliminal little flashes of Brad Pitt. Did you notice yes, that? Yes. You see, because like, yes. subliminal uh, imagery becomes sort of a point later. And you see these sort of flashes of Brad Pitt while he's at his job. Yes. And then also at his job, too, he does. Is there's just one like really cool shot of like coming out of the garbage can where it's like it's like a Krispy Kreme box and like, you know, the Starbucks and just all this like it, it, it's consumerism, consumerism and, you know, any uh, sugar, caffeine, all this stuff. So anyway, he goes to a doctor and he's like, I can't sleep and, you know, all this stuff. And he's trying to the, get the doctor to give him 
but prescription. Yeah. And the doctor's like, no, like, you know, I don't feel sorry for you. Like, choose some valerian root and like, just get get some sleep, you know? And he's like, if you want to feel bad or like feel like, you know, what it's like to suffer, then go to the, the meeting at like First Methodist on Tuesday nights, the men's meeting. So that's what first brings him to self-help is he goes to this support group for men for testicular cancer. Uh, one other thing I'll just add really quickly, which uh, ties into your point about like the waste, the, the wastebasket mm-hmm. stuff. There are a lot of sort of shots where we we go into things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fincher uses CGI to go go into like, you know, garbage cans or go through the walls and look at things. And so we start the movie with this sort of we're going through like somebody's brain kind yes, of. Yes. And it's set to this the the Dust, Dust Brothers. Brothers music. And this sort of um, approach to the credits will also be super influential. Like the X-Men movies did a similar thing. The Ots had a lot of movies that would open with like, oh, we're inside your yeah. mind or we're going through time or whatever. Lawnmower Man. Lawnmower, yeah. <laughs> It was a very common thing, but yeah, but that that whole thing he does a lot with CG. So we go inside a lot of things, and it's just that something he does in the movie. It, which, by the way, excellent use of CG. Like yeah. I don't want to. I, I feel like the past couple of podcasts I've kind of bagged on CG. I don't hate CG. I just I, I like when it's used well because I'm like we should use technology and use it in a good way it's just like there's sometimes where it's just overdone and you know whatever but fincher uses it really well especially for this time yeah because this i don't actually i feel like you know in your you've said this as well it's like it's definitely setting the tone for style that we're going to see for a while yeah so in that sense like watching it now again like full attention like really paying attention to every detail because we're going to talk about it it doesn't feel super dated to me no it doesn't there's a few things here and there but like they're more cultural things not really things in the movie itself but yeah so anyway as you're saying uh he has to to in order to sleep he decides to go trying out some self-help groups and uh one of them is for men with testicular cancer The one of the men in the group is played by uh, 70s rocker Meatloaf, uh, whose name is Bob, but his nickname is Bitch Tits, <laughs> which is something I don't think probably would be put in a movie now. No. It's a little insensitive. I mean, I guess I should say it. the film doesn't look dated, but there's a lot of things that don't re- didn't really age Definitely. Well, <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, the movie's dealing with sort of toxic masculinity, Absolutely. too. So you know, I think a lot of people took from this movie, took some bad ideas. Absolutely. And that's unfortunate. No, they, they missed kind of the, the point. Yes. But um, <laughs> so this this character, uh, Bob, played by Meatloaf, is hugging Edward Norton and sort of pulling him into his giant pendulous man breasts that he has because he's had to do hormone yes. therapy. He was a former um, bodybuilder, like bodybuilder, and so he has this unfortunate body issue. So basically, Edward Norton is going to these meetings, and now he can sleep because he's a, he's been he can release his emotions, you know, while he's being cradled by meatloaf, and now he's able to get some sleep. Yeah, because he could he could actually cry. Yeah, like that was the whole thing. Is like he was able, like you said, release his emotions, and so like then we we cut to where he's like. Sleeping like a baby. Yeah. Like he just has having the best sleep of his life, which is like, tr- it's true. Like as, as far as like if you've been holding something in yeah. and you have a good cry. Yeah. Like you feel pretty fucking great. Well, and I think that's our first indicator that this movie is about 
masculinity issues and men trying to reconnect with some sort of primal man element where they can be in touch with their emotions, however negative they may be. But yeah, so he he is able to sleep thanks to attending these meetings. And he goes to all these different types of meetings and he pretends to have whatever ailment or whatever it is that they're discussing. And of course he doesn't. There's this kind of really sad scene where this woman who has cancer gets up and talks about how she just wants to have sex and she'll have sex with basically anybody. She wants to have sex before she dies. It's kind of heartbreaking moment, but also a black comedy. It's very dark. Yeah. Moment, which this movie is definitely a black comedy. I would say more than anything. A hundred percent. So, you know, this all looks like it's going pretty well for him, but then a wrinkle gets thrown into the the game. Yes. Well, and also this is when we're like, we, we definitely don't know his name because when he's going to all of these meetings, he has to put on a, a, a sticker badge and he's using like, of course, because he's going as, you know, he's this imposter that's yeah. going to these meetings. So he's got like Cornelius and, you know, I don't know, Steve or whatever. He's got all these like phony names. Lenny, I think. Lenny was, was one. one. Yeah, Lenny was one that he's going. So he's he's like totally. And, and I mean, it's it's like tuberculosis support group like all kinds of random stuff and and then he starts to notice marla singer who is played by helena bonham carter and um he's just pissed like he's having conversations with himself in his head about how he's like just gonna like let her have it because he's like she's a tourist and all this which he is too but now like She's like squashed his game and now he can't because he knows there's another like faker there. uh, He can't get what he was getting from these meetings. He can't get his release and cry and get sleep because now someone else is doing the the same thing. And and he's just he's livid about it. And she's great. Like she's like this hot mess and just like especially going to like the tuberculosis meeting or like the cancer meeting and she just chain smoking well, inside. Well, she's going to the testicular cancer yes, meeting, the, which clearly yeah. she's not. But as she points out to him when they do have like their first interaction, she's like, I actually have more more belonging there than you do. Yeah, because she because doesn't she Because I don't have my balls. Yeah. But yeah, she's just like, and which was also, that was a little bit of a, a time capsule because you haven't been able to smoke inside in forever. Like that was something that, you know, I was thinking like she's smoking inside. I'm like, oh yeah, you could do that then some places still at the late 90s. Anyway, they have words and she even like says, you know, oh, I've, I've been seeing, watching you have this, con- you know, this, this, this uh, scenario that you're like telling me off. Did it, did it meet up to your expectations, you know, and just really like giving it to him. So they come to this agreement that they'll like split the meetings. Yeah. So, you know, they can each have three and then alternating Sundays. And while they are coming to this agreement, he's following her. Like she's walking out into traffic. Yeah. Like she has like zero fucks. Yeah. Like just like, cars are whizzing by her. And then she goes into a laundromat and just grabs clothes out of the the, the dryer. Yeah. And he's just still following her. Da, 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 da. And then they go over to um like a consignment shop and she's like selling these clothes that she just stole. Like she's just like, kind of a just a horrible person as far as you know moralistically speaking or whatever she's sort of like the manic pixie dream girl yes. but done like so dark yes <laughs> where she's definitely living life the way she wants absolutely but it's like horrible kind it's of. horrible and she's still like i mean she's still gorgeous to me at least i don't know i still think she's like totally hot even though she's just like this just dirty mess like 
kind of just a horrible person. Well, it was interesting because before this movie, Helena Bonham Carter was known for doing like merchant ivory period pieces. She's British. She was, you know, always playing like the young ingenue, like her and Kate Winslet mm-hmm. would sort of split the bodice movie roles. So she like she was in Kenneth Branagh's Frankenstein and, you know, she was in pe- lots of period pieces. Mm-hmm. So it was really cool. This was a stretch for her, I think, at the time. Or I mean, I don't think it was a stretch because I think she's an amazing actor. So she could do whatever, but she hadn't been offered anything like this. So this kind of freed up her career a little bit. It gave her an opportunity to do something that she wasn't being allowed to do, which was play a modern person. And she's, yeah, she's so great. Yeah. Like, she's just so great in this. You can't, like, anytime she's on screen, like, you're just captivated by her. This time I kind of felt like watching her, she was my favorite person to watch. Like, in previous viewings of the movie, I've been very taken by Brad Pitt but this time, for whatever reason, I was just kind of more focused on her performance. So I was same. really enjoying it. I felt the same. So the next thing that happens is part of uh, what Edward Norton's job is. He's... I don't know what the exact term is, but he works for like a major car company where they have to go and like assess. Like He's a recall specialist yeah. is what they call it. He has to go and look at accidents. Terrible accidents. Like all over the country. Terrible accidents. Car accidents specifically. Mm-hmm take pictures and he has to assess what happened at the accident and how much the car company was to blame. You know, this is this horrible scene where they're taking pictures of this burned car and the, but the guys of course who are doing the assessment are all calloused because they've seen it a million times and they're like, Oh look, the guy was fat. Look at his fats all burned onto the steering. Right. And And then like, Oh, there's a braces that are on the ashtray. This could be an anti-smoking ad. It's just really harsh. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, basically what he does is he determines whether it's worth it for them to recall the cars or not. So it's really cynical, horrible thing, well, which I'm has, sure people really do for a living. Yeah. And he has like he, he had that scene when he's on the plane and he's telling his like passenger, the seat, the seatmate or whatever. Like there's an actual he's like explaining it to her, just breaking it down like it's no big deal. And there's an actual formula. So if this equals X and she's just like you see this woman's face and like, she's just like horrible. horrified. She's like what car company do you work for? And he's like, one of the big ones, a really big one. And she's just like, ah, because it's just, it's, yeah, it's it's pretty grim. Another thing that is really great in the scene is he's sort of fantasizing about there being a plane crash. Mm-hmm. It's only for like, I don't know, maybe 20 seconds, but the plane crash that he fantasizes is shown on screen and it's pretty intense. Like it's a David Fincher plane crash. And, and as Jen knows, <laughs> I am terrified of flying Though I do it, I suck it up and I do it, but I have a lot of flying anxiety. I tend to get into my head as to what's going to happen and how I'm going to horribly die in a plane crash. It was just like seeing what goes on in my head on screen. Yep, exactly. I saw that and I was like, is this what you think about when we're in the air? <laughs> yep, pretty much. But that we come right out of that and he realizes he's sitting next to a person and that person is uh, Brad Pitt as Tyler Durden. And he also, there was a little montage before that where he's talking about 
his traveling and being on a plane and everything's like a, a single serving. Right. So you have like a, you know, you're getting a coffee and you have a single serving creamer, you have a single serving sugar, you're at the hotel and you have like these single serving shampoos and yeah. just like how, and then like, you know, he's in, which is totally true. Like there's like a, you know, a, a shrink wrap, not shrink wrap, but like wrapped in plastic one Q-tip, you know, like just it's everything is so just like, it's just, it's just for one use. It's so disposable. So he's going through this whole thing and then we cut to his new seat passenger because we have the whole montage of him just waking up in planes. He's in different time zones, different cities, just like what it's like to just travel so much and yeah. just kind of live this single serving lifestyle, so to speak. So then all of a sudden Brad Pitt's there and he tries to strike up his normal like seatmate chat. And Brad Pitt's like not having it. He's like, oh, because he's like, so what do you do? And he's like, what? And Brad Pitt's like, what do you mean? He's like, for a living. And he's like, oh, he's like, and Brad Pitt's like, oh, so you're going to pretend like you care what I do for a living or whatever, you know? And like, and, and then he busts out, they have the same briefcase. And then he brings up the briefcase and he opens it up and it's, it's soap. It's handmade soap company. And so he, you know, Brad Pitt's doing his thing and, and, and just being, very interesting and Edward Norton's like wow you're the most interesting single serving service friend I've ever met and and Brad Pitt just kind of looks at him he's like you know you get it because he was like oh no I get it he's like you're you're really clever you know is that what you want to be clever you know he says how's that working out how's that working out for you which became sort of a catch yeah like that I feel like we say that's a thing that you people say a lot like how's that working out for you I think Fight Club is where it really caught on. Caught on big time. Yeah. And it should be said, I mean, a couple of things. The soap element is going to be very important. The fact that he makes soap. It was also in a lot of the promotional materials that you'd see Fight Club carved onto a soap, a bar bar soap. soap. Yep. And um, Brad Pitt in this movie, first of all, his wardrobe is amazing. Yeah. And I kind of dressed a little bit like that in the 90s like I would wear plaid pants and hideous like pattern shirts and stuff so when I saw this movie I was kind of like Brad Pitt felt like the coolest version of me that I could have (laughs) imagined he is very cool in this and it makes sense because that's what he ends up becoming a manifestation Mm -hmm. of that uh, I you know love his hair in it. It's really good. He's got really good spiky hair. This may be one of Brad Pitt's defining roles. Mm-hmm. I think it's more. I'd say more so than even Seven or something like that. The Tyler Durden role, I think, really kind of puts a stamp on. This is one of the big moments in his career. Uh, yeah, and it's a really really good performance. He's really charismatic. You really want to pay attention to him. His abs are insane. Yeah. <laughs> like he's got these abs that are like, I don't even know how to describe them. They they don't look real. They look like they're machine he's like, so or something. Cut and also super tan. Yeah. Too. Like it's just, it's makes sense as to later because it's like, of course he's going to be like this perfection. He's kind of like got this like Greek God type body going on or something. Yeah. It's, you know, like it's, it's to an extreme, but Probably has, you know, never done a sit up in his life. You right. know, he just is that way. Yes. And he's so, um, it just like defines giving zero fucks about yeah. anything. And it's just really baffling to Edward Norton's character. Like he's just like, you know, it's, it's like he's, 
mesmerized by him but also just like what like it's it's that thing where it's like that person's really exciting but also scary yeah because then when we get they've landed and they're at the at the airport and we see edward norton like struggling trying to find his suitcase which has been confiscated because it was vibrating it was vibrating yeah yeah. and so they're having this whole like weird conversation with the the guy at the the baggage claim who's like you know yeah well when you know ticking isn't a problem but if it's vibrating that really is upsetting to the throwers like it's a real flag and he's like the throwers he's like oh the baggage handlers you know it's just this whole like thing and then in the background like we you know we see you know Edward Norton look over and there's Brad Pitt's character like hopping into this red like sports, sports car. car and like taking off and you're just like wow what a cool guy and then you see like this man running behind like because his car's been stolen yeah which is it's great it's just you know defining who this this guy is so yeah the next thing that happens is Ed Norton goes home to his fancy condo in a high rise but when he gets there, it has been blown up and all of his stuff is everywhere. His yin yang coffee table is out on the street. Um, his refrigerator, which only has condiments in it, has been blown out into the street. And he's like, oh, this is really embarrassing. So he's got nowhere to stay. He goes and he first he almost calls uh, Marla because she gave him her number. Well, and that's like one of the things that like show like he sees as he's like looking around at the wreckage of his apartment is like this charred number from Marla or whatever. It's like a piece of paper that's singed. And and also something to note here, too, is which I kind of had forgotten this because it's been a long time since, like I said, I've, I've watched it full on. Yeah, it's just his his condo. It's yes. only his condo, like where, which is important later. Yeah. But for some reason, I was I, I I forgotten that. I was thinking like it wasn't you know just an accident for the whole building. I'm like, no, it's just his. So he's got nowhere to go. So he calls Brad Pitt or he calls Tyler Durden, and Tyler basically invites him out for a beer. So they hang out and they're having a beer, and Tyler's kind of giving him his philosophy on life, which is basically you're not your stuff and we're programmed to want to buy shit, basically tearing down Edward Norton's sort of materialistic outlook. It's it's basically getting us giving us our first taste of Tyler Durden's anti-materialistic, anti-capitalistic worldview. And obviously this is something that's very kind of attractive to our narrator at this point so they have this exchange they go outside the bar and tyler's like you know come on man just say it go on just say it and and edward norton's like what what do you mean he's like you know you you came here to ask me for a place to stay so just go ahead and ask me well he comes out of the bar and he says well uh, he's like thanks for the beer he's like i guess I, I need to find a hotel and that's when you know brad pitt's like you know get over with these like yeah polite you know, these these social like conventions, conventions yes. you know, like like because that's what he's saying earlier with like, yep. So your stuff isn't you like you're free now. You don't have any stuff, you know, and it's like, yeah, don't don't beat around the bush and him haw, you know, and wait because that's what that's what we do. Yes. You know, it's like we're not being direct. A lot of times that's how we. You know, it's 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 a, a manipulation of sorts, you know, mm-hmm. and, and he's you know, he's not wrong. I mean, I think. A lot of things that he believes aren't actually wrong, you no, know, at all. And at it's all. it's like, you know, if we did just say how we feel or ask for what we want, like, it would be a lot easier. And especially, it's interesting, too, because uh, talking more about 
dealing with masculinity and things like that, like it is kind of more expected for for men to be more direct too, like that. You know, it's like it's kind of more traditional that females might be a little more coy, so to speak. I don't know if that's even the right way to describe it, uh-huh. but not so direct in, in asking for what they want, traditionally at least. So, you know, it's interesting because this is such a window into like dealing with male issues. Yeah. Like that's also, you know, that he's kind of acting more female in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, I think that's intentional. Yeah. You know? Like no. it's, it's kind of addressing the, the female side to masculinity. And that comes up again later between the two characters, not to jump ahead, but, you know, they're talking about like having dads that had left yeah. and being raised by women. And this is, again, like such a, a Gen X type thing you know like we're the generation that like like latchkey kids divorce like that was that's us and yeah i mean i was mostly raised by a woman and you know yeah it's it's true it's a it was a it's a true aspect of our generation that a lot of men were raised almost primarily by women i think that's a good thing yeah it is it is a good thing but it 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 does it has influence things yeah but anyway the the main thing that sort of happens in this scene is after Edward Norton accepts Tyler's offer of going to his place, Tyler says, I want you to hit me. <laughs> and this, you know, this is a line that I used to see a lot in like trailers for the movie. Yeah. And Edward Norton's like, what? What are you talking about? I don't know. He's like, no, I want you to hit me as hard as you can. So he keeps, you know, they keep going back and forth. And then eventually Ed Norton does hit him. He hits him in the ear. <laughs> And Brad Pitt's like, ow, wow, you hit me in the ear. And then he hits Edward Norton back and they just basically start fighting, you know, not antagonistically, but it's almost like, I don't know, sex or something. It's like sex or a dance or something. It's like, yeah, it's it's like, yeah. It's an expression of male emotion. Yeah. And the most raw and, you know, primal thing two men can do to each other is to fight really aside from having sex because right. it does it does feel very sexual too it definitely does yeah. for sure but i do think there's going back to caveman times you know men just fought each other yeah over you know their families over women over territory food. over food or yeah. everything it was a you know it's a it's in the male nature to fight other males so that's obviously, you know, what they're getting at here. Yeah, so they just start fighting in this parking lot and then some other guys come out and see them fighting and you know, they sort of gather around and stuff and kind of watch them fight and they it's just this, you know, this catalyst moment of two men fighting in a parking lot that's going to sort of set in motion the rest of the story. Which is also like, and I was thinking about this watching it today too, is when the men come out to watch, it's like, it's such, again, like such an instinctive primal thing because I I mean, the last time I've seen a fight was in like high school. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? And that was like, always like, then there's like a crowd around, like it's just, you know, the, or like maybe at a party or something. But again, like, you know, at, at in my early 20s or late teens or something like that. But it's such a thing that like is so in our DNA in some way to like, you know, just like we have to watch this, you know. Yeah, we have boxing. And yeah, stuff, no, and MMA. I mean, obviously it's. it's, it's we a, like to watch people fight. But after they are done fighting and then they're like kind of just sitting on the curb. And, you know, they're having a beer 
And he's like, oh, hell yeah, let's, you know, let, let, can't wait to do that again type yeah, we thing. We should do this again. We should do this again is what the line is. Yeah. And I feel like the characters really feel alive. Yes. And I was thinking about that. And not that, I mean, I'm, I'm no bruiser, but I know like sometimes when I've gotten injured, it's like that pain from that is like, well, you definitely feel alive. Yep. You know, <laughs> it's like it, it's it's there's there's really it's tapping into something there for sure. Yeah. And, and, and doing something like fighting makes you feel in the moment. Yeah. You know, there's yep. there's nothing else going on in your life when you're taking a punch. Yeah. From another dude. Yeah. Like there's you're not thinking about any money problems nope. or anything like that. You're just thinking about the fact that you're getting punched. So. Yeah, it's one of those things. There there aren't many things in life that make you truly live in the moment, mm-hmm. but fighting is definitely one of them. Yep. So after that, they go home to Brad's house, which is in the grungiest part of town. It's this big house that looks like it's about to be knocked down or yep. condemned. This is some pretty primo production design. Oh, yeah. The house just looks like so gross inside and dilapidated and just gr- i mean you the know walls are this, peeling just and- the smell in there you know it's like it's this house that's like it's in like a kind of an industrial area like yeah. there's no other like it's just the, it's like obviously they knocked whatever there were houses down there before everything's been long gone and it's industrial except for this one which was probably beautiful at one time like this kind of giant victorian kind of looking yeah dilapidated wet like just so much standing water in like in the basement, like ankle deep. And like, you know, they're talking about like the, the somehow there's electricity running and the water's like gross. But like th- if they turn on one light, then the other light has to go out. And then like if it's raining, they have to go and like sh- like Shut cut the circuit. The yeah, because obviously it's, get they're all going to die. But yeah, it's just it's everything's just damp. And there had been like. The person who lived there before had been, they said they'd been like a shut in or a hoarder. And so there's like all these like magazines and books and stuff that are just wet and gross. Yeah. It's just, it's, it just makes you, and then like Brad Pitt, take, you know, Tyler takes him upstairs and he's like, you're going to sleep in here. It's like this gross mattress. Like just, it's so far from his like, cushy cushy condo you know or even a hotel where he's been staying you know for work or whatever it's just like you know he's he's kind of just like okay yeah that's what i like about the scene is the way that edward norton plays it he's kind of you know it's gross and everything but he's like all right yeah Yeah. like he's you you can tell he's kind of totally into it like this this actually seems like a pretty good idea yeah so i pre i appreciate the way that's played like he's not horrified he's totally like all right yeah Yeah. okay he's (laughs) kind of sits down on this springy gross stained mattress that's like just that's it and he's just like okay yeah the next scene we have is uh ed norton kind of trying to get ready to go back to his like straight-laced job getting ready in this dilapidated house with like the brown water and like you know he tries to go take a shower and it's just like dust comes out and you know he's trying to like brush his teeth and stuff and just kind of make himself somewhat presentable to go back to this like corporate job plus he's like all beaten up too like he looks like he got in a fight because that's what he did and this is basically setting up a little thread that'll carry on throughout the rest of the movie just that he's becoming less and less invested in the you know, straight world, and it's becoming more and more obvious to everyone around him 
that he is uh, involved in some kind of weirdness. Yeah. And, you know, because he's always bruised and bloody. You know, he starts to just un- not wear a tie. Yeah. And some- he starts smoking at his job and everything. And, like, having blood on him sometimes at work like even one scene i think a co-worker or maybe it's his boss i can't remember is like is that your blood <laughs> well and the reason that this is happening is because he and tyler brad pitt decide to start a little club yeah and the club meets in this bar in the basement mm-hmm. of this bar that's near the house and there's a pretty cool scene where they walk into the bar and it's done to a Tom Waits song. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they come into the bar and then they go downstairs and we get our, you know, now all these all these other men have sort of, you know, caught wind. They've, you know, witnessed them fighting outside the bar and they went, want in on this action. So they've begun Fight Club, the titular organization of the movie. So they're downstairs and we get the famous scene where... Brad Pitt addresses everybody and he gives the rules of Fight Club. The first rule being you don't talk about Fight Club. The second rule being you don't talk about Fight Club. (laughs) And then uh, I forget some of the other rules. rules, Like, you know, you have if you're new, you have to fight or like there's a whole other. Yeah, there's a few other rules. But the the main two are don't talk about this. And Brad Pitt has also specifically given Edward Norton the same instructions about himself he said i don't want you to talk about me yes. to other people yes that'll be important later it sure will um but yeah so uh you know they're basically th- these groups of men that are just beating each other up one at one at a time uh in the basement of this club beating each other up and then hugging it out yes like it's you know it's it's a new catharsis it's the new you know recovery group so to speak you yeah. know, like it's it they're they're getting something out of it. Like everyone's, you know, it's not malicious. Like no. they're just getting this release. And it's yeah, it's catching on. There's more and more people during this time. Now Ed Norton lives with is like full on living with Tyler at this house. He's a couple things are going on. One is he's like getting calls from this detective. Yes. Who's investigating the arson that happened and Tyler is is kind of you know acting fool in the background or whatever and you know and and Norton's like telling him shut up shut up you know and and he's like am I a suspect and he's like no but the detective's like no but if you know I wouldn't leave town anytime soon and you know he's talking about how the um explosion happened and what it was all made with like household items right which Tyler has also mentioned um in one of his kind of rants talking about making soap how you know byproducts from soap and other household items like you could make dynamite you can make this and that and the other so we're kind of setting some some things up here some seeds for what's going to happen yes but we definitely get the sense that tyler knows how to blow up things yes and so it seems kind of a little suspect that that the narrator's (laughs) uh, condo just happened to blow up and with homemade items too yeah Also, what happens here is uh, while they're just hanging out at the house, there is a phone call Mm -hmm. and the phone call is from Marla. Yep. And she uh, is wondering where uh, the narrator has been because he hasn't been at any of any of his meetings. And he's like, well, how would you know you're we've split up all the meetings? Right. That was the point. Right. She's like, well, I cheated and I've gone to yours and I know you haven't been there. 
she also has taken a bunch of pills. Yeah, a bunch of Xanax. A bunch of Xanax. Yeah. So she's like, that's not a real suicide attempt. It's a cry for help. Right. Yeah. So basically, she's taken a bunch of pills just to kind of do something and maybe get his attention or, or something. Or get somebody's attention because I mean, even the police got called or something. Right. So I think she's just, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't think she's really suicidal. Yeah. She's just bored probably. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think we're to assume that with the police coming, I think we're to assume that the narrator called the police. Oh, okay. Because it's made pretty clear throughout the movie when people start to die, he doesn't want people to die. Yeah. He values human life. He yeah. doesn't want people to get killed. All the things that sort of set him off as we go all revolve around death. It's true. So that's when things go too far is yeah. when people die. So I think, I mean, obviously we're going to find out about Tyler and the narrator, but, you know, I think the narrator were to assume he called the police because yeah, he sense. didn't want her to die. Yes. So, yeah, he gets this phone call and then we're, we sort of leave it at that. And then he goes and well, goes because to sleep. We get the phone call and Marla's is kind of going on and on. And Ed Norton, the narrator, is like so like not it seems just kind of bored by all of this. So he, he doesn't want to hang up on her. Yeah. So he just puts the phone on the, the cradle like, you know, where it's so she's still just talking. But yeah, he goes and just goes to bed. Like yes. I think thinking that like as long as she has someone to talk to, you know, yeah, she'll stay she'll awake okay. or she'll be okay. Or like maybe he doesn't fully care. I don't know. He, whatever. But he, he goes to bed. What we find out is that Tyler comes in. Well, he goes to bed and he has this really stylized yes. sex Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Of having sex with Marla. That's right. Or it's done in this kind of like almost bullet timey yeah, CG cool. look scene where... Yeah, they're having sex, but it's all very uh, like abstract, abstract. And, yeah. and stuff. It's, it's it's a cool scene. So he's dreaming he's having sex with her, but then he wakes up and he hears people actually having sex, and it's Tyler having sex. Right. Yeah, because he wakes up and Tyler's door is closed, yes. and he's like, Tyler's door has never been closed since I've been living here. Like that's weird. And he goes downstairs and is like eating breakfast, and then Marla shows up in the kitchen. And he also sees like a like a condo, a, gross a ton condoms, of condoms uh, in the, the toilet. Yeah, it's so gross. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, then Marla shows up in the kitchen, and they have this sort of weird exchange. Well, because he's like, what are you doing here? You know, like, how did you get in my house? What are you doing in my house? You know, and she's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. You know, which is, should sort of be a tip off of what's going on. But it's also like she's such a, a, a strange character anyway, you right. know, and the, the, it's just, yeah. Well, they've calibrated things yeah. really well so that you don't ask questions that you should be asking. But yeah, he's basically like, what are you doing here? And she's like, what are you talking about? And so she gets kind of pissed and leaves. leaves and then tyler shows up and he's like man you've got some freaky friends yeah. and then we get this explanation like he picked up the phone he picked up the phone after the narrator left he started talking to her presumably yeah then he goes to her apartment yeah. he gets her out of the apartment and the police come and they sort of run off together. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's sort of the explanation we were given as to how they've hooked up. Yeah. But Tyler is very sort of dismissive of her. The, the, the whole Marla thing is an interesting aspect of the movie because it's hard to sort of understand what the real feeling for her is. I think we kind of understand it by the end of the movie. 
but both of the characters, and I think this is maybe something people would struggle with now, both the characters are dismissive of her. Tyler is just like, oh, she's freaky. You know, I like having sex with her or yeah. whatever, but you don't want to get involved with a woman like that or whatever. And Edward Norton doesn't seem to have any, you know, he finds, feels that she's a nuisance. But yeah. like, obviously, he's drawn to her, mm-hmm. but nobody has any real genuine affection for Marla. Neither character does, at least not in the beginning. So it's a little bit of a strange. Well, dynamic and i I mean it also seems like it's coming that way from marla at first too because like she doesn't she's like a little like you know she's she's such a strange bird anyway it it seems like this these are type of relationships that she would probably get into anyway like with people who were emotionally unavailable or whatever like this is kind of based on who her character is this is this is par for the course is how it feels and you know it's not until later uh when she like i mean because this the the montage goes on it's like this full-on and the only way you can describe it is fuck fest that's going on between marla and tyler and the narrator ed norton is just so over it he's so so annoyed by irritated by it it's like it's really loud and like the ceiling because it's this you know this building that's gonna fall apart like ceiling is falling on his head like when he's doing crunches and stuff and it's comically loud it's comically loud like like brad pitt and helena bottom carter are really probably having fun pretending to have sex uh, being ridiculous (laughs) like it's it's so it's yeah it's it's cartoonish so Later, like another, I think it's a scene where um, the narrator is at work. He gets a phone call from Marla and it's having like a weird exchange with his boss then anyway. Because his boss is kind of like, I think that's when he might say like, is that is that your blood on your shirt? And, it, and the boss has also found the, the manifesto yeah. on the copier because Ed Norton is just getting sloppier and sloppier at work. He doesn't care. Like you said, he's smoking. He's like not wearing a tie anymore. He's like disheveled and beat up. And he's just barely like showing up. And he's he has this inner dialogue because his boss is like, is this yours? He's like the first rule of Fight Club. And he's like reading off the rules. And Ed Norton's like, oh, shit, you know, I've, I must have been asleep and left it on the copier or whatever. And then he gets a, a phone call and it's Marla. And Marla's like, my, my tit's going to rot off. You know, she, she's having like a breast cancer scare. Yeah. So she asks if he'll come over and like help her out you know and, and do like an like a, a self-exam and one thing we should note that we didn't make note of is a lot of what we understand of the narrator is told to us through voiceover yes so you know, we're, we're hearing a lot of his thoughts because we're hearing ed norton explain it to us in yes. voiceover exactly but yeah so she is having this breast cancer scare and so he goes over to her apartment to feel her breast it's this sort of strange scene where he's like why is she calling me right to do this and he comes over and begrudgingly checks out her breast and then he's like are we done here you know and she's like i guess we're done here or yeah and it's really like she's doing a thing that it's kind of like when you when you're hooking up with somebody and you don't really know what's going on and it's like you know you're kind of like trying to have a reason for them to come over and like have some sort of intimacy which isn't even like it's such a non-sexual scene. I mean, it's very clinical or he's just like being a, like, it's kind of like having a friend just help you out with that. It's not like, you know, hot in any way, but it's like, you're trying to like force this like intimacy or like that the, there is some sort of 
connection or something, which is like, he's completely like, why are you, why? You know, like, I'm not the one that's sleeping with you. So while all this is going on, Fight Club is growing bigger and bigger. We're getting some new character actors in the mix. Uh, Holt McClaney. Yes. Who we spoke about last podcast. We love him. Uh, Jared Leto yep. is in here. Meatloaf ends up coming into the group. Yep. Uh, Bob is inducted into the group. And we're also getting sort of a glimpse of what Tyler does uh, when he's not doing Fight yep. Club. He's got a few jobs. One of them is he's a projectionist at a movie theater. Uh, and he has a little hobby <laughs> of projecting frames of pornography into the reels back in the olden times <laughs> we used to view movies um, on film and the films needed to be trans you'd have to uh, have somebody actually present in the projection booth now it, you just turn a button on right but kids these days don't <laughs> remember what it was like I, I actually worked at a movie theater so I, I during this time yes I knew yeah. projectionists and I would hang out sometimes in the projection room and watch them switch reels and they'd be on these giant platters i think it's cool it is I, cool. i've seen it too yeah um and they explain that you know there there used to be these little things called cigarette burns that you'd see in the corner of them of the the reel when it would happen but yeah so he's whenever they'd show family movies he'd splice yes. in like a penis or, From, like, or a piece porn. of porn yeah yeah in it and so in in these little subliminal flashes we get them in the actual movie itself yeah. that we're watching yes fincher uses that as a as a sort of gimmick yes he also is a well, he like works a, as a banquet caterer banquet think, yeah. caterer and he does horrible things horrible like, things he's a, like they call him a, a like a food assassin or something yeah. like that <laughs> He pees in the chowder yeah, and stuff and like, like other that. Other gross things. Sneezes and things, which I also worked at Fenway Park, and um, <laughs> I worked at the pizza stand. And some of the my coworkers would sneeze into the pizza sauce, so that definitely happens. And try not to think about it whenever no, you eat. No, try somewhere. not to think about that at all. It definitely happens. The other thing that he does, which we established back on the plane, is he makes soap. Right. So we get this also great scene of he's like, you know, all this is going on with Fight Club and this and that. And then like Tyler says to Ed Norton, like, now we got to make soap. So they, you know, start making soap. And I think this is first when the the burn happens because he's got the um, he's talking about the ingredients of soap and telling him this whole story about how man learned to use soap. And that it was because they would have human sacrifices up on the like a hill and then burn the bodies and then the ash would like roll down into the stream and then the fat from the bodies like the burnt fat or whatever with like with the water would like was making like a lather. So that's how man learned how to like wash their clothes in the stream. I don't know if this is accurate or not, but it sounds right. I mean, I'm I'm I, I believe it. So he's t telling him all this as he like puts i think it's a lie on his skin or yeah. like some sort of a, a lie a powdered form of lie or something on whatever but he puts this on uh the narrator's hand and is holding his hand and not letting him go as this is like burning the shit out of his hand and he's like you know having this whole like dialogue about like you know because the narrator is going to from all of his self-help groups he like a lot of them ended with guided meditation. So he would go to his cave yeah, where it's like this visual where we're seeing him like in this like kind of our icy Arctic looking cave where like, you know, at one point he sees a penguin and then like now he's seeing Marla mm -hmm. and, you know, he's trying to go to all these like happy places where, you know, transcendental meditation like takes you out of 
whatever pain you're in because that's what and then like you know Tyler's like no you got to stay with it don't leave this is like you're 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 the most alive you've ever been and all this stuff and then finally you know he lets go and lets that happen and then Tyler pours some vinegar on his hand which you know stops the burning so that whole thing happens then they proceed to go get some fat yes and i had forgotten about this and wow to your point about how uh soap was originally discovered from human fat they go to a hospital and a liposuction clinic Clinic. and they go to the dumpster and they pull out giant bags of fat that has been sucked out of people to use for their soap and one of the bags gets caught oh, on, on the, the barbed wire fence, barbed wire fence oh. and spills all over the place. It's so gross. It's their dumpster diving for like bags, like hazmat sealed or whatever, like their toxic, like, the, you know, the, the medical sealed bags of the grossest. And it, it's like, I mean, I am a weirdo who likes to watch surgery and stuff, or I shouldn't say likes to. I haven't done it. You only you'll need to say do it. you like to. I like to watch pimple popping and things like that regularly, but I, you know, you only need to watch the fat surgery once, but it's, it's a real visual that you'll never forget. It's kind of burned into your retinas. And boy, does David Fincher do a good job of capturing it because that's what it looks. It's just, it's so nasty. Yeah. It's so gross. So then they, you know, they they make off with the, the fat that they've stolen from the lipo clinic, make this soap, and then cut to they're at like this fancy department store where Tyler is able to sell to the store like for 20 bucks a bar. Yeah. And, you know, they kind of make a, a joke or the narrator is like, yeah, so, you know, they're and who knows what the store is upcharging. So he's like, these women who have paid to have the fat sucked out, you know, paid thousands of dollars to have liposuction are now like buying their own fat back at like, you know, top dollar. So basically what starts to happen at this point is Fight Club becomes more and more of sort of almost like a paramilitary organization. Tyler is basically recruiting people. And so hopefuls will have to come to the house and stand out on the porch for three days. They do sort of drill sergeant yeah. style, berate like them. berate them. You're too old. You're too. The first person is young. a kid, and they're like, "You're too young." Then the next person is meatloaf, and they're yeah. like, "You're too fat and old. Get out of here." So basically, they're forming a sort of terrorist cell yeah. or a militia organization or whatever you call it. This is another thing that's probably a little uncomfortable now, yeah, because these are the people that you're supposed to be sort of relating to. Although, in fairness to the movie, Edward Norton never seems to be really on board with it. No, Edward Norton is like, it's it's like that thing where you're like, you know, having a good time with certain things and you're like, you're okay with what's going on and then all of a sudden it's a bridge too far. Yeah. And you're like, whoa, no, I didn't, you know. Because they're, 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 they're doing things at first that are like, it's kind of like merry prankster type things yeah you know it's... well the first thing they do that is shown in the movie is they put a big smiley face on an office building like they're all they're, a bunch of the guys have been sort of recruited and they're all gathering around the tv or whatever and they're like oh yeah like like look what we did and it's you know basically they've blown up a couple of windows yeah. and then put a big smiley face right. on the side of the building which at that point, I mean, that's kind of like they were doing other things before that, like where they were having to try to um, 
like start fights with other people. Like, yes, like Tyler, yes, 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 Tyler yes. starts giving people homework assignments. Right. This That's is how kind it of. I, I, sorry, we're a little bit out of order, but it like that. That was kind of what started before. Like they they started having people come military style, like living at the compound where like they built bunk beds and all of that stuff. Telling them to start fights with people yeah, in the street which who, is just for no reason. Hilarious because it's like. And then lose. You have to lose. You have to start a fight and then lose. Yes. And it's like it's so true because it's like. They're showing the lengths and the narrator's talking about the lengths that people will go to not to get into a fight. Yeah. And it's absolutely true. My favorite is Holt McClaney with the hose. Yeah. He's like a mechanic or something. Yeah. He's just standing outside the garage where he works with a hose and he keeps just shooting people who walk by and they're like, you know, fuck you or whatever. He just keeps shooting them with a hose and trying to get them to fight him. Yeah. That, that was my favorite one. It's, uh, yeah, that, that one is the best. And then also he does that with a priest where he's like hosing down the priest and yeah. then like hosing <laughs> down his Bible and stuff too. And then there's like a guy at like a Cadillac dealership or something that like, you know, they, they, they's trying to start, like they're trying to start a fight with him too. And it's yeah. just, oh, and then they were having like the, they fed the pigeons a bunch of food. So they pooed all over, over the, 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 yeah, like, the, the cars. cars. No, I remember this is like, when I was going to community college, I think it was, yeah, I was um, taking, or no, I might've been at the university. I don't know, whatever. I was taking a, um, some sort of psychology class and we had, we're studying like um, deviant behavior mm -hmm. and I had, we had to like do something kind of like this in society, nothing that would be harmful, but that would cause some, some sort, sort of upset. Of yes. Yeah. And what I, what I ended up doing is my mom, was uh, still working that at the time at um, an elementary school. And the kids were having their like big kickball game. And I interrupted their game. Like I went and stole the ball and just ran off the field. Uh -huh. Okay. Yeah. And it was so uncomfortable to do that. And they like, just like didn't know what to do. And then like the, then they all started chasing me or whatever. But it was like everyone was just in shock because I'm an, I'm an adult. I was probably in my early 20s, I guess. And yeah, it was anyway, it just kind of reminded me of that because it's like it's these the people, you know, I mean, you see the stuff in YouTube videos now and stuff, too, you know, where people are yeah. are kind of pulling. I feel like in a weird way, we've become more accustomed to that. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, one of the reasons is because there are so many mentally ill people yeah. on the street. So our lives are often disrupted by them. Yes. But I do. Th I feel like because of YouTube videos and like Jackass, Jackass, totally and shit Jackass, like that. It's yeah. kind of like we've got more. Punked or it's not like so that. we like if you see somebody doing something who's not obviously mentally ill. If you see somebody doing something like that now, you just assume they're like YouTube pranksters. Oh or no! Something or especially like that. living in LA, yeah. like you know, we would assume that it's some sort of it's a prankster or some sort of filming's going on or yeah. something like that. It's not. But back then, this was in the '90s. It was more of like whoa. It would be more shocking. Yeah. Back then. So yeah, we're getting the whole montage of that with their they're giving out assignments and stuff. But um, the narrator like knows Tyler's doing this, but he's not really like in the know of what's going on yeah and he so feels like he's being left out of and it becomes fight thing. club evolves into project mayhem so when you're talking about when he comes in to see everybody who's like they're like we're celebrating they all have beers and tyler's like kind of covered in paint yeah and it's because of the like you said the um news report where they've like painted the smiley face and blown out some windows and they're all like cheering the narrator doesn't know anything about it. And so no. he's like, why did you wait? You guys can't do this. And, you know, he's like having a reaction and everyone's just kind of looking at him. Right. Like, what do you mean? And yeah. he's and he's just like really feeling he's in his feelings, like feeling out of the loop. 
with Tyler, like Tyler's not sharing this with him. And Tyler's like, well, you didn't want to, you know, you didn't want to be like your level of involvement is what it is, you know? And so they're having this whole like kind of argument about communication and like what his level of involvement is with the project and this and that. So it's, it's kind of becoming a thing. And so one of the ways that they uh, are able to sort of fund these activities is basically Ed Norton basically doesn't want to have to work anymore. So, you know, he's going after his boss who he really doesn't like. And he he goes into his office and is like, we've got to talk. And he basically tries to blackmail him. He says, you know, I want you to pay me my salary and have me stay home and collect a paycheck. And as long as you do that, I won't like tell the media or whoever like the way that we know the, the these cars I'm inspecting are dangerous yeah. and all of that. But that doesn't really fly. The boss isn't buying that line of things. And he's like, no, get get the hell out of here. Yeah. So Ed Norton beats himself up in the office. And, you know, we see him like throwing himself onto it, like smashing onto a glass coffee table, smashing into the wall, into the the shelves and everything. Totally, totally beating the shit out of himself. And he's really good at this. He's really good at it. It's not, it's almost like, it's almost like like he's done this before. Maybe he did it before? Yes. I don't know. The security gets called in and it, you know, he's framed it in such a way that it looks like the boss has been beating him Mm -hmm. up. And so he gets what he wants. He gets to be paid his salary. Plus, he gets all this like computer equipment and all sorts of extra goodies. And, you know, so that's sort of how this burgeoning, you know, terrorist organization organization (laughs) is getting some of the equipment and money that they need. Something else that didn't really age well either was when he is talking to his boss earlier when um, Marla calls. Mm hmm. He's threatening his boss back then, and he's like, "I might come in. Someone, somebody might come into the office." With yeah, whoever armor. left this manifesto around right. is probably a really dangerous person, and they might come in here with an AR-15, yeah, which is the kind Armalite of gun rifle, that people yeah. have, do yeah. do this with. Yes, yeah, that that part actually, yeah, made me made me like kind of ill, like because yeah. it was like this was before all of this. This was before. Columbine even it was I think at the same time oh it was yeah I guess it was a little after because I think Columbine after. was like in April and this April. came this out in the in summertime the fall, a late summer yeah that might be mm. anyway but that kind of made me feel a little because we've just dealt with um so many horrible tragic shootings so like so many since then like in the past 22 years yeah it's just yeah so that that made me like i was like this definitely did not age well nope. this was not not good back to where you were that yeah his he, he ends up getting to leave with a week a year's salary it's yeah. a 52 weeks of pay yeah. plus all the computer equipment or whatever and that's what's going to fund this project mayhem yes we kind of see the narrator like sleeping waking up yeah walking through the house and seeing like this crazy operation going on like they're like have like a garden going on in the back but like also at first it looked like they were just kind of cleaning up the place but now they like have all like the soap supplies out and stuff and now it looks like they might be making bombs or something like it's but he's kind of like he's really out of the loop yes like and he's 
becoming resentful and also fearful. Mm-hmm. And um, and one of the people who's not out of the loop is uh, Jared Leto's no, he's character. Not. He is who, in the loop. He's in the loop, and he's got like dyed blonde hair and, <laughs> and dyed his eyebrows. Eyebrows. His eyebrows. His appearance is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. He Jared Leto's character sort of becomes the focus of the narrator's resentment. And he's, you know, really pretty because he's Jared mm-hmm. Leto. I think his character name, which I don't even remember, but I saw it in the credits, is something like Angel Face or Angel something Face, like that. Yeah. 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 He's not given a name. No. In but the that's movie, what but, but that's what's in the credit. Yeah. No one hardly anyone really has a name yeah. other than like Bob and Tyler. Yeah. Really. Like, and Marla. And Marla. But the next thing is, so yeah, that's already bubbling up between uh, Jared Leto and Ed Norton. Is get, narrator's getting very jealous yes. about that. They have this thing where they're all dressed as like banquet cater waiters. Yeah. Because that's what Tyler does for a living. And they're having, a, it's a, a thing that the, the police chief or, or somebody, they've, they've created this like they're gonna task go after force. A task they're going to go after this. To go after Project Mayhem. Yes. And they're doing it in this sort of banquet hall yeah. kind of like press conference right. type of thing. And yeah, so Project Mayhem is disguised as the waiters and everything at this event. And they all have these ridiculous wigs on because they've shaved their heads. Yes. So they have like these black, like big wigs on. And it, it yeah, it's, and, and the, the guy who is heading up the project says, I got to go take a piss. Yeah. And so he steps away from this whole function and then. Yeah. And so they, they all attack him in the bathroom and they hold him down and they tell him that he's good. They're going to cut off his, his balls, his balls yeah. with a knife. Yeah. And, big um, knife. Yeah, big knife. It's a bit pivotal scene because we have uh, Tyler is like in his face. Everyone is wearing like ski masks. Yeah. Except for Tyler and the narrator who didn't know this was like how this was going to play out. Like the narrator's in the bathroom too. Ed Norton is. And he's like kind of watching this horrified. Yeah. But we're getting like this really interesting shot of the, the guy who's like on the floor and all the dudes are ca- gathered around with their masks. Yeah. Except for Brad Pitt. Tyler who's like in his face and telling him like you're gonna see like his chip tooth and stuff like he's just it's a very close-up shot and he's just like here's the deal like call off this task force or we're going to like take your balls right now well I mean it's like and we're everywhere yeah. we're the people serving your food exactly. we're the people C- connecting your, your calls cutting like, your calls cutting your lawn whatever like yeah. we're we're yeah we're everywhere and we're gonna get you yeah. so well they take off this is where so they they head out of the the hotel or wherever they're having the banquet i think it was a hotel and they're like in this alley and they scatter and jared leto's character is kind of like tyler kind of has him go like do something like has him kind of like heading up and you see like the narrator ed norton again is just like you know like kind of like what the fuck yeah and he like runs off with tyler but it's like there's been kind of an ongoing thing too where he's starting to realize where he's running into people who know about fight club who are like talking all about tyler all the time and it's all and he's like having that thing where he's like we you know he has words with tyler later he's like we did this together we started this together yeah you know, and Tyler's like, yeah, but you didn't want to have, you know, that much involvement or whatever. But everyone knows about Tyler Durden and like no one really knows about the narrator. And he's starting to have feelings about that. And then with Jared Leto, he's got a whole other jelly thing. Going yeah. On. So that ends up, you know, because of Jared Leto's favoritism, that ends up in this scene where they're back at the basement of the bar, the bar and the narrator decides he's going to take out his aggressions on Angel Face. And he... Whew. 
beats the living crap out of him. I mean, he just and it's some serious like blood makeup. I noticed that the uh, the makeup effects were done by Rob Bottin. Yes. I didn't realize that before. I didn't he, either, but I saw it in the credits. Yeah, time. yeah. He did the thing and a lot of really, like really classic, really 80s good effects. stuff. But yeah, he just beats the living shit out of Angel Face so bad that he basically has to go to the hospital. And then afterwards, he walks over to Tyler, and Tyler's like, "What was that all about?" And he's like, "I just wanted to destroy something beautiful." It's so such good effects. It's so. I mean, we just get a quick cut to Jared Leto's face. Yeah. And he's got like one tooth left. Yeah. And his this whole face looks like it's been like pounded with a, a meat cleaver or something like pulverized. If you're not a Jared Leto fan and, and you <laughs> haven't not. seen this movie, this you owe it to yourself to watch him get the shit kicked out of him by Edward Norton. Like if you've ever wanted to see Jared Leto get his face bashed in. This is the film for you. This is the film for you. <laughs> so, yeah, these Project Mayhem um, things have been escalating without the narrator's seeming involvement. We see him waking up and yeah. stuff, and then he finds out something crazy has happened, you know, which all ties into the, th the theme of him not being able to sleep and yep. blah, blah, blah. So, so he wakes up, and Project Mayhem has just attempted to do a pretty spectacular, I think. Actually pretty great. It's a pretty great thing. Their their assignment was to destroy a piece of corporate art mm -hmm. and a, uh, like a, com a, a chain coffee coffee chain. Coffee chain yeah. uh, store at the same time. Well not Well, they decided they were gonna kill two birds with one stone. Right. Because they had it like it just it was it would have been fantastic yes. had, had it, it not, not ended gone. tragically. Right. But what happened, what they did was they like there's this big sort of circular piece of stupid corporate <laughs> art in a plaza right next to like a Starbucks ish type of place. It looked like a giant pinball or something yeah. like this big silver giant ball. Yeah. And so they blow up the base of it. So it goes rolling into the not really Starbucks. But or Starbucks. Whatever. Yeah. And one of the Project Mayhem members who was doing this was our lovable love beloved bob beloved bob and he gets shot and killed and they bring his body back to the house and it's like his the whole back of his they head blew his head off. off yeah his the, yeah like his brains like fall oh, off under the it's floor really gruesome it's some pretty gruesome gore and so at this point the narrator freaks out yeah because somebody's dead now and it's bob who he actually cared about. about and so yeah this is now really like setting things off for oh him. yeah he's so not okay with this and then he's also just like jared leto who we see now who like his face like is, is destroyed. just destroyed like like actually like one half of his face is like still mangled. just completely mangled and puffy and yeah it's 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 like whoa that's what that's what he looks like now he's still fully 100 percent in yeah and he's just like we need to take the body and bury it in the garden. Yeah. You know, we had to get rid of the evidence and hold McClaney too. We've got to get rid of the evidence. And, you know, the narrator's like, he's not evidence. This is Bob. This is Robert Paulson. He was, and they're like, sir, we're not supposed to have names and project mayhem. Yeah. And then like very cult, like very, you know, organization, like, Holt, it's Holt McLaney yeah, is they, like they draw their own conclusions as to what he's saying. They're yeah. like, oh, oh, I see in death. We have a name. Yeah. His name was Robert, Robert Paulson. Paulson. His name, name was, was Robert Paulson. Paulson. Yeah, and everyone's like chanting, chanting it. it. And the narrator's just like having this like moment. Well, where that's the moment where, you know, it's gotten out of It's way out control. of hands. It's like way out of Now there's a, there's a life to And this happens with cults when you watch this, this sort of behavior. Because we have. Of, right. Eventually, 
the cult starts making up its own rules, even like without the leaders involved. Oh, the leaders. So like it's it's surpassed that right. person now. Like it's and, you know, I also feel like art is imitating itself in a sense of like what we were talking about earlier as to like what people liked about this film and like yeah. kind of got the like we're missing the point is like similar to the matrix the matrix yeah. has the same problem where people the thing with the matrix was every same year and everything yeah. the thing with the matrix was the whole red pill blue pill thing like this is real oh you're if you're you're only going to live in the the matrix then you you're not seeing the real reality yeah. Like Fight Club has the same kind of problem where people took the wrong lesson. They totally did. And you got all these bros that are like, yeah, yeah. you know, like. It sucks because it sours the legacy of the movie. Yes. Like I know people who now don't like this movie because they don't like what grew out of it. You know, they feel like it's the movie's fault that this inspired people to be terrible. And it's not. It's really not. It's not. It's not the movie's fault. It's not the book's fault at all. Like it's, it's saying something saying, completely well, it's opposite. Saying the opposite. It's saying the opposite. Yes. But people are seeing what they want to see. And it also was happening at this time when you had a lot of like these like like rage bros who loved Rage Against the Machine. Right. And I was like, were you listening to the lyrics? Exactly. You yeah. know, it's yeah. like this is not. No, this is not like you're the machine, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's They're like, raging against you, you, dumbass. Yeah, but it's just you're you're they're getting the wrong thing out That's of it. That's just how these things go. I know. And you can't blame the art. I'm you sorry. Can't you can't blame can't. the artist in this way. No, you can't. I think also just because of where things have gone over the past 22 years. I am watching this and I've seen this and I've read the book and it's just been a long time. I'm getting nervous yeah. because I'm like feeling like, oh, no, this is just this. Oh, is... You know, half the people that stormed the Capitol thought they were in Fight Club I or know, something. I know. Yeah. It's just making me really uncomfortable because things are out of hand. Yes. Like and there's no putting the genie back in the bottle now no. because like these guys of this mob mentality of like what they're. Yeah, there's no stopping it. This is kind of like a, a deal breaker for the narrator. Yes. And this is like, I think is he starts kind of going around the house and seeing like stuff that's like, kind of, he doesn't know what's going on, but there's like obviously something that's being planned. And then like he's going through, because I think Tyler left. Well, one of the things that happens next is we get the scene with the car. Oh, yes, 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 yes. So basically this culminates in this scene where it's like pouring rain and we've got the narrator and Tyler and I think Holt McClaney, another one of the guys, are all in a car. And so Edward Norton is like confronting Tyler about how he's been out of the loop with Project Mayhem and how he hasn't been included in these things and how they they started Fight Club together. And Tyler's basically like, you don't want to know about any of this stuff. And while, while they're going, while they're driving, like Tyler is just swerving into traffic and it's pouring rain and they're getting closer and closer to hitting stuff. And basically Tyler is like, you need to just let go or whatever. You need to stop trying to control everything. You need to just let go. And literally Tyler is letting go of the steering wheel at this yes. point. And also we have like the two recruits in the back that are just like the first rule of Project Mayhem yeah, is yeah. you don't talk about Project Mayhem. You know, they're like they're doing all this like cult reciting back what they've been told from Tyler or whatever. Yeah. And um, and that's kind of a reoccurring theme that's going to continue on into the film is like when, you know, the narrator is confused about something that's going on and they're like looking at him like, is this a test? You know, like, so that, that whole thing's happening. Um, but yeah, so then the narrator's trying to grab the wheel and, you know, Tyler's like, no, just, you just got to let go, just let go. And so then they let go 
and have a car crash. Yeah, a like, car, have a big car crash. Or <laughs> they go tumbling down and the car's upside down and, you know, miraculously, no one dies. They all get out of the car. But, oh, and that's when Tyler says, you just had a near life experience. Yeah. So this is sort of a, like, I think a catalytic moment because, you know, literally the narrator is forced to let go of the wheel, yes. so to speak. Yes, yes. What basically happens after that is he wakes up the next day at the house and Tyler has mysteriously gone. I think everybody's gone. Like, I feel like he gets up, wakes up at the house and everybody's gone at that point. Right. Because this is after what happened with Bob. Right. So that house is empty. And so he's kind of running around and seeing like like stuff on the wall that's related to Project Mayhem. And then he goes through Tyler's room. Right. And in his room, he finds all these plane tickets you know, for all these flights Tyler's taken and all these places that he's gone. So he, you know, he wants to find Tyler. Yes. So he figures he's going to be at one of these places. And so he's goes flying all yep. around the country to these different places he's been. Because he also has all these vouchers from right. when he, like, when his job ended. They right. gave him a bunch of vouchers, too, to fly. Yeah. And so he's going to these places and he notices that wherever he's going, there seems to be fight clubs. And so he goes into bars and he's asking if they know if they've seen Tyler and they're like, is this a test or right. whatever? And he's like, no, it's not a test. You know, where's Tyler? And there's like, well, I can't help you with that, sir. And he feels like he's just like on the heels of Tyler everywhere right. he's like going. He's like right he feels like him. the fight has just happened. Like he's even like in the bar, like the basement of some bar. And he's yeah. like, the you know, we could smell the sweat and the blood and like the ground feels like it's warm. Like there was just a fight. Oh, and then he even goes to like this one restaurant or whatever and he like in the kitchen and the the kitchen staff are like his name is robert paulson yeah, like yeah. they're all like so you're really having like this like am i losing my mind type thing like what is going on like it's a like a rosemary's baby type everyone's in on it type thing yeah. you know and finally this guy who's at the bar who has in like um one of those like attraction halos halo or yeah. something yeah like he's been beat to shit yeah so, you know, that's a big sign there, but it's like, he's just, you know, got this whole like thing where he can barely turn his head and he, the narrator's like, have you seen Tyler Durden? Da, 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 da. And the guy's like, again, you know, is this a test? That's a done. He's like, well, you're Tyler Durden. Are you, I'm seeing him right now or yeah. whatever. And, and just. And, and so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that the line that Ed Norton gives is like, we've just lost cabin pressure or yes. whatever. It's like the voiceover. Yeah. So basically he goes back to his hotel room and is having this revelation that he's Tyler Durden yes. and has always been Tyler Durden. And then Brad Pitt is there sitting in the hotel. He hears Brad Pitt's voice and he turns and there's Brad Pitt now with a shaved head and like a fur coat or whatever. And he's sitting in the hotel room and he's like, yep, like I'm you basically. And so our big twist here is revealed that there has only ever been one person, Tyler Durden, who is the narrator. Yes. And Brad Pitt has been playing basically a figment of his imagination, this idealized version of what he wishes he could be, the person he wants to which himself to be makes sense with the ridiculous abs and tan and right. like the the like the flamboyant like cool clothes and like yeah. it's just it's yeah it's it's like his like idea of what a man is right. what is cool he's also before i think even before brad pitt shows up he's like putting it all together and like you know when he had said to 
Marla had showed up actually at the house, yeah. like in the garden. And she's like, what is going on? Because there's like all these people here. This is like when Project Ma'am is like in full swing. And the narrator had woken up and he's like walking around with like a bottle of vodka or something and just like completely out of it. And he's just like, because he's never supposed to talk about Tyler. But at this point, he doesn't give a fuck anymore because Tyler is has disappeared. Right. And so he's like. Tyler's not here. Tyler's gone or whatever. And Marla's just like, you are a nutcase. You know, like, I can't deal with this. And so she says, but he's like kind of getting all this flat, you know, like flashback. And then also he's getting the flashback to like the first night beating himself up in the parking lot. And we also should say part of the big revelation is he calls in the hotel room. He calls Marla and is like, have we ever had sex? And she's like, what do you mean? Have we had sex? You mean like, did we have sex or were we making love or whatever? He's like, well, so then we've we've made love or whatever, and she's like, "Yeah, like she's like you're impossible, you're impossible. you know." Like, like, yeah. And then she finally says his name, like or whatever, like yes, Tyler. And then he's like, "Say my name again," and she's like, "Tyler, Tyler Durden." Yeah. yeah, and that's when he says, "Yeah, we have just lost, lost cabin yeah. pressure." That's when it's like he is Tyler Durden, yes, for sure. Yeah, what you were saying about the um the phone calls is he's called Marla, but then when he goes to check out of the hotel because he's, like, got to rush back home, he, the the front desk clerk or whatever is, like, oh, you know, he's, like, just bill me. And they're, like, well, you need to sign for your phone calls. And he's got, like, between, like, 2 a.m. and 2.30, he made, like, a gazillion phone calls. Right. So something big is going down. Something's going down. And so he starts, like, calling these numbers when he gets back to the house. And he realizes they're related to properties because it's like, you know, 1600 Franklin. And then he looks up on the wall and there's like a, you know, a manila folder with that and like a map and like, you know, blueprints and all this stuff. And that keeps happening. So he's realizing. And he realizes they're like financial buildings and stuff. So he's basically puts it together what the plan is. Which, you know, in reality, he knows what the plan is because it's his plan. Right. But this is like, I think this is also so like important in its own way, just because like when you have like a, a mental split like this, like you can't like it's a psychotic break when you have a form of schizophrenia kind of going on or, you know, that you've got like you're kind of blacked out. Yeah. And doing all of this stuff. It's like being in a blackout. Yeah. And you're you're like, but wow, highly functional and doing all of these things that you really he really, honest to God, has no clue about, yeah. even though he's doing all of this. Like he it's like it's a terrifying thing. Like I can I, I think he really does a good job of showing like, yeah, oh, my God, like what is happening? Like he's he's really piecing it together. And then like in a panic, he grabs all of this stuff and he goes to see Marla first because he knows Marla's in danger yes. because he knows the rest of Project Mayhem he's talked about Marla yes. about Tyler which he Tyler warned him to never talk about him yes. to Marla but he has and so he's now fearing for her life so he basically goes to to her and they have this crazy scene in a a restaurant where he's you know trying to explain to her without ex- fully explaining like I, I know I must seem like two people or whatever and she's like are you kidding you're Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Mr. Jackass. Jackass or whatever but also we should mention the restaurant staff are also part of Project Mayhem because they're like whatever you want sir you, it's on the house and yeah. then he was like don't do anything to the food and they're like then maybe she shouldn't get the clam chowder yeah. you know like it's like yeah, so he basically like gets her a bus to he like runs out in front of a bus and almost gets killed by it, but and then gets her a bus gives her, gives her some a lot money. of cash and is like get out of town, like go camping, get out of major cities because 
he doesn't realize how far this is going to reach to like, yeah. he only knows what's going on right here. But because this has turned into such a thing all over everywhere, yeah. like he's like, just go out to the woods. And so what he does then is he goes to the police and he turns himself in and he explains to them, I'm the head of this terrorist organization and we're going to, it's you know, it's gotten out of my control or whatever. And we're, we're going to hit all these different financial you know institutions all around the city the city is never we no, never know what city it is it looks like la a lot of the time it could be whatever but important fact is that when he goes to the police he's talking to the detective who's been in, like investigating the arson of his condo yes so that that detective is there but then there's three other cops that are in the room well yeah they pull him into like an interrogation room or whatever and the detective is like, OK, well, you know, this actually like checks out. So I'm going to go whatever, make phone calls or whatever. He leaves him with these other three cops and they turn out to be Project Mayhem members. And they're like, sir, you told us this would happen. Yeah. And if this happened, <laughs> we have to take your balls. Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> he's trying to talk his way out of it. And everything he says, they're like, you told us you'd say that. Yeah. And he's like, well, but what about this? And like, no, you told us you'd say that, too. And like they grab him and like throw him down on a table and they're going to cut off his balls. But he you know, manages to like grab a gun off yeah. of one of them. And yeah, this basically sets us off to our sort of final climax where he's got a gun. He doesn't have his pants anymore. Nope, because he's in his they've, boxers. They've pulled his pants off because yeah. they're going to cut off his balls. He knows that one of the... Um, one of the addresses one is of the addresses Franklin on or something. Franklin. And so he goes to this office building basically and like before he gets there he's right outside the office building and then brad pitt shows up again he's basically trying to get trying to reckon with himself essentially to stop the building from being blown up well because also it's important because you mentioned this earlier because the narrator which we now know is tyler right has always been tyler doesn't want anybody to die yeah he's not and so brad pitt the other part of Tyler is is telling him like nobody's in the building yeah, like we made sure building. it's an empty building that there's no staff there's no security well, the, there the, the staff was all the, the security were all project mayhem so yeah. they they like, yeah. got it but they made sure that like it's just literally going to you know, it's not really that bad of a plan. It's nope. going to like zero out debt for everybody because it's all these credit card buildings because yes. it's going to be chaos and they're not going to be able to know who owes what. I don't really think it would work that no. way, unfortunately. I mean, maybe it could have back then. Back maybe. Then, maybe. I don't know. Not now. No, but the internet I don't know. was around. I don't think it would have worked. Probably not. But, you know. For the movie, it's fine. So the, him and Tyler have this confrontation out in front of the building Edward Norton like tries to sh like for, then Tyler oh, yes. is inside the building. Yes. He tries to shoot Tyler, but it's he's just he's a reflection there. in the yeah. thing. And then they have this like knockdown, drag out fight. Like in the, they they basically go down to the parking to the garage. parking garage. Yes, and it's like <laughs> and Brad Pitt is like kicking the crap out of Ed Norton, and he's doing like these karate like ooh, wow. karate type of. But like, we're getting the circuit camera, right? Which again showing Ed Norton just beating himself up. And here's where I have a problem. My only real problem with the whole he's both of these people at once is there's one shot where we see Tyler grab him by like his shirt collar and drag him. Yeah. And then you see him in the reflection yeah. and you see him in the camera and he's being dragged by like an invisible man yeah. or something. Yeah. You couldn't. No, that's there's no, no. physical way to that's, actually you can't do that. Drag yourself. I mean, I think it's just kind of a joke. Yeah. It's like David Fincher making a joke. Like, I know there's no way this could happen, but, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> Cause it's funny. Yeah. 
But yeah, but they're having this knockdown drag out fight in the the car garage right next to this van van that's that's full of explosives. Yes. And so, yeah, eventually, like despite the fact that he's getting his ass royally kicked by Brad Pitt, uh, Ed Norton gets into the van and it's full of explosives. And there's like, you know, a classic sort of scene where there's like a detonator with all these wires in it. And he's like, you know, which why? Come on, Tyler, just tell me which wire to take out. He's like, I don't know. Like, it's well, like, he's like, you should know. You should you know. did it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's like, you're the one that and he was just like, so he's really trying to like block Brad Pitt out. And yeah, like, like maybe Brad... I thought about the blue wire or the green wire all day or whatever, but that's not really the wrong one or whatever. But basically, Edward Norton ends up pulling the green wire, which is the right wire to disarm the detonator. The fun part of this, these scenes is this whole Brad Pitt being like, you should know. You should know. You're, I'm you. It's you. Like, you know. Yeah, you're the one. Now we know I'm you. Yeah. So there's a lot of sort of moments where he's like, come on, you know, I'm no, you. It's, like, it's, it, there's some good comic, comical right, things happening They're playing happening off yeah. the, the, the twist nicely yes. here. Yes. They end up in this. He, Brad Pitt wants him to get a good view on what's happening. Well, we and we go back to the very first scene because the, the narrator even says like, and now we're back to where we started yeah. because the Brad Pitt ha, has has gotten the gun yes. from from Ed Norton and he has the gun in his mouth and that's yeah. where we actually started yes. at the beginning. And he's like asking him something and Ed Norton's like, you know, he can't talk, you know, because the gun's in his mouth or whatever. Yeah. Ed Norton sees like the guys from Project Mayhem like pulling Marla off of the bus yeah, or something. They, well, they they show up and they've pulled her off of the bus, yeah. and so you know, I don't. Know, I guess they're doing it to use her as leverage against him. I honestly, I don't to know. Be this honest, is all kind of it gets a little, a little confused confusing. here. Yeah. Like it's not. I wouldn't say the very end of the movie. It's memorable because of what happens visually yes. at the very end. Yes, but I definitely. It's not the tightest of endings. Like there I feel like they didn't really know how to wrap this all up. No, and I and I feel like and what I was thinking when I was watching this and that's again why I wanted to revisit the book cuz I was like I don't remember because I I feel like for the most part they adapted this well because sometimes it's hard when this is a a book is like this yeah. to be able to oh, yeah. to to put this on screen. Yes, but I think they did a pretty good job with it. But I'm I'm trying. I can't remember what happened at the end of the book. Apparently, Chuck Palahniuk really liked the movie. Yeah. He said that he thought the movie improved on the book. Okay, that was his opinion of it. Cool, which is pretty shocking. That's not yeah, that's not usually case. an author's feels. But yeah, the ending is just kind of messy. It's a little messy. But it, I mean, I don't hate it. It's fine. But it's just like it's it's. Yeah, it's kind of like, I don't know. Well, the thing one, the thing that happens here, the big thing that happens here that does make sense yeah. is basically Ed Norton figures out, finally sinks in, yeah. oh, I am this guy. Right. Like, so Tyler has the gun in his hand. I and then Edward's like, Edward Norton's like, well, I have the gun in exactly. my hand because exactly. I'm him. Now the gun is in his hand. And the way to get Tyler is to get himself. Yeah. So he puts the gun in his mouth and he shoots himself. But he doesn't manage to kill himself. No, he like shoots out the side of his face. Right. Yes. And it's a pretty good shot it's, when you see him yeah. do it. It's, it's CG, but it looks It looks good, good though. It's very like kind of slow-mo. Yeah. And then the, the effects are good where just his face looks. His face looks messed up because it looks like he shot like his jaw yeah. off of its hinge or whatever. Yeah. So his jaw's all weird. Well, now. and everybody that's coming in too is like that's when all the Project Mayhem guys come in and they have um, – marla and everything and everybody's like sir what's wrong with your face yeah. you know like you look awful we need to get a medic you know like right he's away like, no no i'm fine yeah, he's I'm just fine. like holding it and 
But what's weird about it is he basically is like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Just leave us alone. Or yeah. And they all just leave him alone. Yeah. It's like they didn't know what to do with, that, with yeah. them at that point. But it's nice because it ends up being just him and Marla. Him and Marla. And they're standing there. And, and he tells one of the guys to go get some gauze. Yeah, he, goes, he says, go get some gauze. <laughs> yeah, for his face. So they all leave. And then where is my mind by the pixie but, starts. Yeah, from. but before that, he has a sweet moment with Marla. And he's like, you're meeting me at a really weird time in my life. Yeah, you know, yeah, because yeah. it's like he finally like knows who he is. It's like, I feel like he's going to live most likely. Right. And he's like, he doesn't want to be full brad pitt tyler yeah but he's also like gotten away from this like asleep at the wheel corporate guy who he was of like with all the stuff yeah i think he's going to be able to find somewhere in between that like it's not he doesn't want to be the leader of project mayhem or whatever but i don't know it's it kind of has like in a weird way it's kind of hopeful then the pixies start with where is my mind which is like the beginning of the end of people using the pixies in movies like it's it works here and i remember that's what i actually remember most about seeing in the theater was hearing this song at the end because i was just like yeah like this was i mean it was the time it was you know the time of the pixies still it's a great music pairing with a final image yeah. they're standing before this window and i think they're holding hands they're holding hands and then all these buildings, buildings start crumbling. to blow crumbling because yeah. they've all been they've all got bombs in yes. them, and they're all blown and they're crumbling beautifully yes. like it's not it's it's almost like fireworks it's like beautiful destruction yeah, it is a beautiful and destruction to, yeah but unfortunately a, a million filmmakers saw this movie and were like i want to use where is my mind in my movie me too and it got way yeah, overplayed, but this was where it was first. Yes, this was the first effective. Yeah, usage and the of it. buildings crumble, the pixies are playing, and that's it. Yep. We go to black, and it's like, okay. Yeah. It's actually, though, we do get right before it goes to black, it does like a little splice. Because yeah. remember, like we were hoping that we were gonna get something at the end, maybe with that. But they do a little bit of like it's. It's. I was hoping we were gonna gonna get, get a, a penis, a giant dick. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but it kind of does a little splice, like you know what what. Uh, Brad Pitt's character would do in the the film. So there's that. Yeah. So that's the end of Fight Club. Yeah. Now you know we're more than twenty years past this movie's heyday. How do you feel about it now? I I think it's still great. I mean, it's you know, it's one of those films that like I don't need to watch very often. Obviously, I haven't watched it in a long time. Yeah. But I think it. I think it's it's great. I mean, I think we talked about a lot of things that you know un, uh, were unfortunate takeaways from it that were missing the point. Yeah. I think there's some things that just didn't age well that we touched on throughout our talk. Also, that you know are kind of hard to to watch, knowing where we are now, and, yes. and hopefully you know uh, have evolved some as well, and then de- devolved in other ways, which is not good. Yeah, I think it's I, I, I don't know. I, I think it really still it still holds up and it it speaks to me still. And yeah, I, I don't know. I think I think it's a great film. I, I still really like Fight Club. I, of course, still really like Fight Club. I feel it's sort of funny. I feel about it um, the way I sort of did originally, which is I really liked it, especially really liked the beginning and, you know, the first half of it speaks to me a little bit more than the second half. Once yeah. Project Mayhem starts becoming the focus of the movie, I get a little bit less invested in it because I just cannot relate to 
wanting to start a terrorist organization or no. a militia or I'm, anything. Thankfully. I mean, look, look, I, I'd like to see things change in a, in a major way. And if systems needed to be brought down, I'd be willing to go along with it. But it's like there's a certain point where I just kind of can't really fully invest myself in it. I can invest myself in the first part where yes. it's about a guy who's struggling with consumerism and all these things. Like I definitely feel that still there's, you know, I, I feel like all of that stuff to me is just as relevant. It's hard because we've seen militias and shit yeah. happen that have been for movements I don't agree with. Yes. And so it's a little hard for me to get on board with this whole, like, let's tear down the system right now. <laughs> you know, like, even though I do acknowledge the system is, needs, broken. is broken and needs significant change, I, you know, I don't think it should be done in the way this movie presents it, which I think the movie is saying it doesn't. Yeah, the movie, that's the whole thing, though, is the movie is saying yeah. this isn't good. The movie doesn't condone it. No, and that's why, you know, and I agree with you. I mean, like, the, the second half of the film is not my favorite. Yeah. And it's also, you know, I, I really was paying a lot of attention to it today, whereas it's like the beginning I'm just so much more with. Yeah. But I, I, I do think, like... Yes, it's not condoning this. It's it's showing like this is not a good idea. This yeah. is what happens. But I, I I just feel like as I said, uh, you know, people took took the wrong thing from it. Right. Well, and I, I think that art has a responsibility to look at things and to raise challenging questions and you know all of these. I don't have any problem with anything the movie is saying at all. I, you know, it's not. I'm not objecting to its perspective. I think it's perspective. And I and the fact that it doesn't condone it while also saying like you know consumerism is a bad thing and yeah. things do need to change like that's all true and you know just because one thing's true doesn't mean the other thing is isn't true too you know it it, it doesn't make consumerism great the fact that you know maybe blowing everything up isn't the solution that right. still doesn't make consumerism a good no. thing you know these are tough questions none of us really know the real answer to it and i feel that it's a good it's a really good movie that explores these ideas effectively plus it explores the whole concept of toxic masculinity in a way that's i think still very relevant I mean, unfortunately there's probably a lot of incels that have this movie on their oh, yeah. top 10 but for all you know. the wrong reasons but and then i think it also is i again with mental illness also is like i mean it's really like it's you know it's, it's fiction but that is truly how it can be for someone who's having a, a split personality so to speak is like having a psychotic a break psychotic break where you know they're able to be super high functioning and do all of this stuff as this one persona where the other persona is completely in the dark about it so why do you think this movie failed I honestly don't know, but since we talked about just as we were talking about the the scene where he is speaking to his boss about coming in and shooting things up, like or yeah. that you know where he's saying a person who made this you know had left this on the copier, you know, speaking in like you know very vague or like a, a third person type thing, not saying it's him, but we know it's him, right? Yeah. But the threat that he's making about coming into the office and and pecking Becoming people an off, active shooter, basically, right? And now that I'm remembering as we were talking that you know you were saying this came out and it's and Columbine was definitely I'm pretty sure it was in April of, 90, it was, of 99 yes maybe that was i don't know if that was even 
shown in the trailer or maybe uh, maybe no but i don't know i just maybe that was something that paid people off i mean or... i think i think you could make the argument even if you took that scene out i think you could make the argument that maybe that sentiment was not what people were feeling right now at that moment coming off to columbine interestingly the matrix happened before columbine and like they wore With those the coats. coats and stuff yeah. because they liked the matrix, the matrix and stuff. Yeah. so the matrix did not suffer because it came out before yeah but this came out after so i mean i think there might be an argument that maybe people weren't feeling it because columbine had happened i mean just that just having domestic terrorism in general maybe not even just like going to the the actual like rifle and shooting or whatever but like being an active domestic terrorism being so close down the line i don't know i mean i i still i was shocked to realize because in my mind this this was like such a popular film but like you said it was that people didn't go to see it in the theater and that it was kind of like an after the fact thing and i as we discussed maybe popular for the wrong reasons and i think that it did well overseas because of brad pitt and edward norton like just being who they are well that brings me to my thoughts on why i think it didn't succeed at least initially and it's because i think ultimately As I remember, the reviews for this when it came out were favorable, but a lot of people didn't really know what to make of it. I think it was asking some pretty complicated questions, and because it didn't really come down in any sort of like, okay, this is like an action movie, or this is like a black comedy, it kind of walks a line that's sort of uncomfortable, I think, for people. Like, you don't know what box to put it in, really. You know what I mean? Like, I even have this problem when, like, I, we have the Blu-ray, and you know how I like right. to organize Blu-rays Where by, like, genres. <laughs> like, what genre is this? Like, I don't know what it is. Yeah. You know, it's just a David Fincher movie. It's like, if he is his own genre, that's where you'd put it. But it's like, I think it's just hard to put into a box like, what is this movie? I don't really... I think people just didn't understand what it was. I think, you know, it had this crazy twist that sort of throws the whole thing into a whole different perspective. I think people weren't... I think if it had come out a year or two later, yeah. it would have been way more successful. I think people just weren't ready for this kind of movie yet. I will say this, though. As far as the twist goes, they do a really good job of explaining, like, what's going on. You know what I mean? Like, as far as, like, when it comes out... yeah. So much because I was thinking like the scene where he's in the hotel and Brad's there and Brad's like basically telling him like this is what's happening. I am this, you know, and it's like a lot of times that doesn't happen, you know, and so that really could leave some people like, huh? Yeah. But I, I feel like at least they really spell that out so that if there is any sort of confusion, but at the same time, I agree with what you're saying. Like, what box do I check for this? Yeah. Like, I wouldn't. Honestly, no, like, you know, from working at a video store and, you know, or just having people ask, you know, for recommendations about movies, like, had this not been like, it's such a phenomenon now yeah. and such like part of our culture and a cult classic, so to speak, or whatever. People know Fight Club, but like, if you were, you know, working at a video store when this first came out, yeah, like, I wouldn't really know. I couldn't compare another film right. to recommend like, oh, if you like this, you'll like Fight Club. Now it's the kind of movie where it's like, oh, if you like Fight, Fight Club, Club, you'll like whatever. Yes. Boondock Saints yes. or whatever movie I don't like. But right. whatever. <laughs> that kind of movie. It became kind of a genre yeah. of like. It really kicked off. 
Well, and like, yeah, and it, I think also, you know, if it had come out a year or two later, it would have been like, oh, it's got a great twist. And yeah. people would have wanted to see it for the twist because twist movies became big. I think they just didn't have a way to sell it to people then. They just didn't know, like, other than Brad Pitt. And like, the, tr- the hard truth about Brad Pitt is he doesn't sell tickets. He never really did. It's such a bummer. No, he's not. He's he's an actor people like, but yeah. he's never he's never been the guy that was like he's never been a Will Smith or anything. Yeah. Like he's never been a, and Edward Norton certainly not. No. I think they were probably hoping to sell it on Brad Pitt, but unfortunately, as much as people love him, he doesn't sell tickets. I think he does. So, I think he did abroad though. Yeah, I think did, that's why, did why you said abroad. it did better abroad. But because... it's more of a European sensibility to yeah. it too. So I think I'm sure European audiences got it more right. than Americans Well, they've been did. having twists happen for a long time. Yeah. Been twisting a long time there. They're a twisted bunch. Twisted. Twisted. All right. Well, I'm going to go splice some frames of porn into movies and steal some liposuctioned fat and uh, destroy something beautiful. And I'm just going to listen to the Pixies. <laughs> That about does it today for Tentpole Trauma. If you like what you heard, check out our social media presence on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just look for Tentpole Trauma. That was easy, wasn't it? If you like us, hit subscribe and leave us a sterling review on iTunes, if you dare. If you really like us, head over to Patreon.com and get involved in one of our fabulous tiers. You'll be glad you did. Want to communicate with Tentpole Trauma? Send an email to tentpoletrauma at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And who knows, one day you may even get your email read on one of our shows. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you real soon.